Hey there, if you love the Roast West Coast Coffee podcast, please subscribe to a paid subscription on roastwestcoast.com. This is the very last episode of season four. To celebrate and to launch season five, we're offering a huge 50% discount until May 5th. That's 50% off until 5-5. Your paid subscription keeps this show running, covers the costs associated with the website promotion and equipment. With enough subscribers, we'll be able to turn this side hustle passion into a full-time operation that is bringing you more and more coffee content. Subscriptions are a great way to show appreciation for this show. Head to roastwestcoast.com to subscribe, and I'll include links in the show notes. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 21 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Not only is it the 21st episode, but it is the very last episode of the season. And that went by really fast. I'm still Ryan Wolt, and this is the show where I bring you the stories of coffee professionals, entrepreneurship, and coffee education. Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee Source, a green coffee broker in Anaheim, California, is back as a Coffee Smarter expert to talk to us about extraction. If you haven't heard the interview we did covering his coffee journey earlier this season, I'll link to it in the show notes and on roastwestcoast.com. Jared also teaches coffee at Hasea, and I feel lucky that he's willing to share some of his coffee expertise with us on the show. As I mentioned, today we're talking about extraction, which by definition is the pulling of one thing from another thing. It's also a somewhat crappy movie on Netflix. For our purposes, we're talking about how flavor is pulled from the coffee bean during the brewing process. And of course, we take a few tangents along the way. As I mentioned at the top, this is the very last show of season four. In between previous seasons, I've taken long breaks to regroup and put some energy into other projects and occasionally even into my real job. I don't know if you could hear it, but I did use finger quotes when I said that but not this time. Frankly, I'm too jazzed up and inspired by all the entrepreneurs and coffee professionals that have been on the show this season, and it feels like the last few months have just flown by. I don't want to lose this momentum. Season 5 starts about an hour from now, when you've finished listening to this episode. More on that a little bit later. Today, I'm drinking a hot cup of coffee black. It is a Sumatra from Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters in Vancouver, Washington. I brewed it in a French press at a 15 to 1 ratio of water to coffee beans. That is my go-to brewing method for any new-to-me coffee. And after I finish this cup, I'll make another one, at the same ratio but as a pour-over, with a Hario V60 brewer. If I really prefer one style over the other, I'll stick with it, but play with other variables just for fun. The only thing I don't like about this podcast medium is that I'm not able to ask you what you're drinking in the moment because you're not in this tiny closet podcast studio with me. So if you're out there drinking a cup of coffee, snap a photo or take a video and tag me at Roast West Coast on Instagram. Maybe do it while you're enjoying this Coffee Smarter conversation all about extraction with Jared Hales of Hasea Coffee Source on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. 
Jared, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, where we try to help people get coffee smarter, at least me. I know I listen to the show (laughs) uh, many, many times during the editing process. Thank you, Ryan. Last week, we were talking about green coffee and green coffee storage and just kind of what somebody who is starting out buying green coffee would be. If anyone hasn't listened to that, they should go back and listen to it because it was super helpful if you've ever thought about roasting your own coffee. This week, I want to kind of jump over to the other side of coffee, which is brewing and extraction and stages of extraction. And I was hoping we could start by defining what extraction is, because that's a term that gets thrown around with coffee a lot. But what, do you, what does that actually mean if I'm brewing coffee and you say, what am I extracting? Am I extracting a physical thing? Am I extracting flavor? Is it, What does that mean? So extraction at the very base is essentially dissolving coffee or in the coffee context, right? Dissolving coffee solubles into water. That's like, I think as simply as I can put it. And solubles as someone who's didn't take science after sophomore year of high school is just like you're literally dissolving like a physical piece of the coffee bean into the water right like uh molecules that dissolve into water essentially right so like salt if you were to dissolve salt into water and then that water were to evaporate the salt would be there that is correct although i'm not sure i guess that's kind of what instant coffee is right yeah i guess so (laughs) dehydrated brewed coffee Okay, so then why do we use the term extracted a lot with flavors? Is that what we're we're saying that the dissolved coffee is the flavor that we find in our I mean we're essentially drinking coffee flavored water, right? That's correct. So like with espresso side and, and a few outliers, most coffee is about ninety-eight point five percent water and one point five percent coffee, if you were to actually look at the amount of coffee. 90, so that's 1.5% coffee. So that's that term I see TDS, right? That is correct. Yeah. That's total dissolved solids, which is essentially another word for solubles. Yep. You got it. <laughs> Clicked. I don't so, know why. So that TDS number is what's determining the strength of the brewed coffee, right? So 1.5 is actually a little bit strong. Espressos, you get more to like 7%, 10%. Like uh, the last coffee that I tested that tasted really nice was 1.39% coffee. When you say strength, though, you you don't mean like strength caffeine-wise. You mean strength like, because that's like a term, right? Like you mean strength flavor-wise. Neither. That, oh. So strength is, an, strength is actually an interesting kind of topic and word in, in our industry because, you know, a lot of people that are not very uh, coffee educated will come to me and they'll say like, oh, you work in coffee. I love strong coffee. And I have to kind of, okay, what do you mean? You know, do you like high extraction percentages? You know, (laughs) but obviously (laughs) most people cannot comment on that. And so strength sometimes gets, I think, misinterpreted as like uh, boldness you know, which is another kind of vague word, but I think that's more associated with the roast. Like people are tasting bitter compounds in the roast. So you can actually have really weak 
coffee with very dark roast. And that might even be what someone is describing when they tell me I love strong coffee. Um, I don't know if you've ever had like a, like a brutal hotel coffee. That's kind of what it is. It's like super watery, but flavor is really intense, mostly because of the roast. But strength is really in, in the professional sense related to TDS in, in the coffee, which uh, I don't know how far down that rabbit hole you want to go here, but um, that kind of is and is not related to flavor. So from the TDS, there's, there's some fun algebra to calculate an extraction percentage, which is what a lot of people use to talk about coffee. The SCA has always had a window, a target window of 18 to 22% extraction as a percentage, which is coming from this math. But, you know, as coffee has gotten a lot better in the last 10 years, even really, I've tasted some great coffees that are beyond 22% extraction. And, you know, I think it's, in my opinion, it seems pretty simple. If you have a lot of great things in a coffee, you want more of those things, right? Where if you have a less than great coffee, maybe you don't want to taste everything. Coffee does have, I want to say 850, over 800 aromatic and flavor compounds inside of coffee. And not to, you know, take shots at wine here, but I think wine is like 250. So there's, there's a lot of room for complexity in the coffee. And then it's about extracting what tastes good. So I believe the number is about 28% of the actual bean is soluble, about 28%. But as I was just saying, we're, we're more shooting in the range of like 20, 22, maybe 24% on a really nice coffee. You know, we're not actually extracting everything that is soluble in, in mm-hmm. that seed. Would that be a goal or would that be too much? No, that would be that would be too much because once we start extracting those other elements, then we're getting like bitterness and unpleasant flavors. So although it is soluble, it's not something that we enjoy drinking. So let's talk about that kind of the stages of that extraction then because it sounds like you're working through different flavors and trying to cut it off at a certain point. That's essentially what we're doing with uh, with the roast with green coffee but then again with the brewing process you're exactly right that's very well put i well i did read some notes beforehand (laughs) so i was prepared with that one um so you you mentioned the complexity and all these different flavors but let's kind of talk about that what are those stages of extraction um that people are going through as they're brewing their coffee what what is the you know let's say you under brewed and then middle brew middle brewed I don't know what I'm talking about, uh, but you get the point. Like yeah. what, what are, you know, like say the, the multiple steps that people would go through flavor wise, or I'm going to let right. you, you're the expert. I'm just over here listening. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're, as you're, I, I understand what you're saying here. It's a good point. As you're brewing, you know, the first time you hit that coffee with water, let's just assume that we're doing what we call a percolation, you know, like ru- moving water through coffee which is different from full immersion, you know, coffee sitting with the water for its whole brewing, like a French press or even AeroPress. So let's just assume that we're doing like a pour over or a coffee pot maker, you know, 
the first part of that brew, when the water first starts to pass through the coffee grounds and starts to extract it, right? The first thing that you're going to get is a lot of the acids in the coffee. That's what, that's what you're going to pull out first. And I don't know if you've ever noticed this when you're brewing your, your coffee, but the first few drops that are coming out, they are thick, right? They are really um, syrupy looking. And this is where you get the highest concentration of solids in this early part of the or of the brew. Later in the brew, you actually start to extract sugars that are in the coffee or like sweetness, like perceived sweetness as well. And then if you look at the at the coffee dripping out, it might look more like what you're going to actually drink as far as how heavy or like the viscosity of it, you know, towards the end of the brew you start to pull out bitterness in the coffee, which bitterness kind of gets a bad rap, I feel like, in the industry, mostly because of roasting. Like, you know, if you roast too dark, you start to get bitter flavors. But really bitterness is a is in all coffee and is in moderation a pleasant aspect. Or, you know, there's a few people that don't like chocolate, but a lot of people do. And chocolate has a lot of bitterness to it, especially dark chocolate, right? So you start to extract the bitter flavors in the coffee towards the end. And if you look at what's dripping out towards the end of the, of the brew, you'll see it looks a bit thinner than maybe what you will end up drinking and definitely a lot thinner than what was dripping in the beginning of the brew. And so what this means is you're getting uh, less concentrated liquid, right? It's more water, I guess, in every drop than the earlier drops. And so you start to dilute your coffee here at this point. Again, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right, because you're you're compensating somewhat for the early the early part of the brew where it was thicker and getting to yes. somewhere where it's all one drinkable. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why you really don't want to, you know, go too long or or put too much water either, you know, because then you're gonna miss that kind of golden window of perfectly balanced acid sweet and bitter right now there's there is a technique i don't know if you've ever heard of like a ristretto espresso but essentially ending the the espresso brew before you get to that bitterness and dilution so it's a it's a smaller more concentrated shot but it's lacking you know that added step or the added stage of brewing the, the bitterness and, and the dilution. So you can get some interesting results just even doing pour over with that kind of theory, you know? And a really, a really great test if you have access to an espresso machine is to, you know, get a portafilter that splits the shot and start your shot and pull one of those shot glasses uh, when you're about right there, at, you know, two thirds into the brew, just pull it and then finish the brew with the other shot glass and then try them both. And they will be like totally different coffees almost. It's amazing to me that we, and I've said this, I think, I think I've said this before on the show, but it's a unique product in which you are giving this, this uh, physical thing to a consumer and then asking them to finish the science experiment. You know, the farmers okay. is step stage one, they're farming it, they're giving it to you and you're, you're forwarding it to a roaster. The roaster is performing a science experiment. And then they're saying, we've taken this as far as we can. 
take this home <laughs> and perform this seventh grade science experiment and don't screw it up, you know? And that's kind of <laughs> what I, th I think about when I'm making my coffee and, you know, it doesn't taste very good. I generally mm -hmm. blame myself because it's probably my fault in most cases, uh, not all cases, you know, not going to name names, but uh, you said something earlier about how we were assuming for this process of, of extracting that we were working with a, a pour through system, a percolating right. system where the water is traveling through. How does it change for an immersion system like a French press or like a, I can't think of the, 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 the type of brewer, but like, it looks like a pour over, but essentially the water sits in there with the coffee, it, with the coffee yeah. in it say, for four minutes and then right. drops through. Right. So, so those full immersion brews, you know, they, they actually extract slower because as the water starts to get saturated with coffee, it's less effective at extracting, at pulling more, I guess, molecules, you know, to, to bond with. So it, it is slower. It's also a lot more linear. For example, if you were to like graph extraction rate of uh, full immersion, it would be kind of like a straight line on the graph where if you graph like a pour over or, or a, a percolation brew method, it'll look kind of like a roast curve where it'll be a lot faster in the beginning and then it'll kind of slow down and taper off towards the end. So they look different, they brew different. And it really comes down to like changing variables. You know, a lot of times people change water temp or grind or dose, you know, the, the recipe actually has to change for these brew methods. I noticed that, well, for me, the most common mistake I make is over brewing an immersion brewer because I forget because I'm doing it while I'm making breakfast or I'm, you know, doing emails or whatever I'm doing. So I, I'm very familiar with those over immersed, over brewed right. flavors. I was looking through kind of some just notes on extraction and there was this term that came up, golden cup standard. And I'm wondering if you could describe what that is. We kind of already talked about it, actually. That is that that range of extraction percentage. So the, the SCA has established that anything between 18 and 22% extraction is gold cup standard. There's also some rules on strength. I don't have the number in front of me, but I think they want you basically 1.3% TDS. These are good to have standards, right? And starting points. But like I was just saying, I've had really fantastic coffees well over 22% extraction that, that tastes great. So while they're good for starting points, they're definitely not, you know, don't, don't die by them. <laughs> what I'm hearing you say is who made the SEA in charge? <laughs> no, I, I do appreciate the SEA, but, but definitely you got to take it as more of a guideline. You know, these aren't rules. These are guidelines. If I'm starting to get interested in this side of coffee where I want to know what my extraction rates are, how do I go about measuring that? You know, you're talking about like we can actually physically see some changes in the brew as it's going through, but how would I actually know if my extraction rate or my TDS is at the right amount? I mean, without equipment, the first step is to taste, right? So over-extracted coffee has a pretty distinct taste. As you kind of mentioned, it's 
it's bitter, it's strong, right? It it gets to the point where it's not as pleasurable to drink, right? It may even have, for example, the, the cup that I brewed this morning was a little bit over-extracted, I think, based on the taste and based on the caffeine effect that I'm feeling from it. You know, I'm feeling a little tingly. <laughs> oh, so if you over-extract, there actually is more a direct relation to the amount of caffeine. Yeah, the more the more you extract the coffee, the more caffeine you will extract. So does that mean that some of these brands that market themselves as having the most caffeine ever are essentially just over over extracted coffees or over roasted or how does that work? No, there are also there are also variations in caffeine based on the plant, the coffee plant itself. And so there are varieties of, of coffee that have more or less caffeine in them. Caffeine is actually the plant's insecticide, you know, which is kind of crazy. We're all just drinking seed juice, getting high on insecticide. But but yeah, it comes down to, I think when they're advertising that, it's more about the varieties of the coffee itself. And so I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of Arabica and Robusta, right? Robusta has sometimes two to four times the amount of caffeine as Arabica. But even in Arabica, there's a lot of variation. Some some varieties might have half of another as far as caffeine content. As we're talking or as you're mentioning those different coffees in the family tree, and obviously the different levels of caffeine that they might have, that also means that those coffees would probably, each kind of family will have its own kind of level of anticipated extraction, you know, that would be ideal for that coffee, right? Like a Pacamar, as you say, might be best at this extraction level versus a Katura, which might be better at this extraction level, or am I just putting too much into it there? I've never put that much into it, but I would not say putting too much into it. <laughs> that might be the case. I think that there's enough other variables usually that you're dealing with where that would be hard to kind of create a rule because, you know, for example, Pacamara, they have different density, you know, is that now a variety thing or a density thing? Right. So I think you can kind of track trends, but then you're going to get into a lot of other variables, coffee to coffee. It'd be hard to say like, I brew all my Pacamaras this way. You know, just like a roaster, it would be hard to say I roast all my Pacamaras one way, you know, because there are different aspects, different elevations, different processing, different origins, and, you know, obviously different flavors. I do want to come back and say, though, before we get too far from it, under-extracted, finding under-extracted in, in your cup is also pretty obvious. The coffee will taste like water, like, you know, like coffee water, which is obviously not a pleasant experience either. Are you more likely to have that with a, with an immersion brewing method because it takes longer for it to extract or because when we were talking earlier about the percolation, the first drops are going to be thicker, more viscous. Wouldn't that have more flavor as well then? Good question. I think <laughs> yes. I, I think that personally, I think full immersion is is actually harder to mess up. I think it's a little bit easier to get uh, normal extractions from the full immersion. Uh, I've never met anyone that brewed their full immersion too short. You know what I mean? That's kind of hard to do. It's what's much more common is like what you're saying. You, you 
walk away from it and, and all of a sudden it's 15 minutes in there, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't do that seven out of seven days, but there are definitely <laughs> yeah. weeks where I'll go a couple days in a row where I've just got so much going on that I forget. I just think it's an easy way to do it. I always talk about how I love the routine of coffee and the ritual of doing it in the morning. And that's supposed to be time for me, but I'd be lying if I said that that was true every day. And it's very common for me to be distracted by something else and making an espresso or making something a little more complex. That's harder for me to do than, or even a pour over as opposed to an immersion forces me into that mindset. And so for anyone listening, when you're making your coffees in the morning, you know, thinking about that, like, what are you, what do you want out of this experience besides just a cup of coffee, if anything? Right. I think it is important. Is there anything that we, we should, we should add about extraction today before we kind of close up shop? Um, you know, some other interesting thoughts, I, I would say going back to your question with how do we measure extraction you know i i gave taste examples mostly because i think most of us don't need or want to purchase equipment to measure extraction but you can measure it with fairly inexpensive tds meter it's not the most accurate but you can get close the best in what we use professionally a lot of times is a refractometer you know that measures really accurately the tds essentially the same number just more accuracy some other good points here in regards to extraction, there's a lot of other variables that can increase or decrease extraction rate. For example, water temperature, the hotter your water, the faster you will extract your coffee. Think cold brew, you know, that's room temp or cold water for hours rather than using hot water. Grind size, you know, as you grind finer, you will increase surface area per gram and you will extract coffee faster. We also talked about oh, roasting. Roasting. As you, as you roast coffee darker, you actually break down the coffee and make it more soluble. The, roast, the darker roasts extract faster. So usually if I'm brewing with a darker roast, I might change some other variables like water temperature or grind size. Usually I, I start with grind size. And to clarify on that, if you're roasting it darker, aren't you also breaking down some of those flavors and you may have less flavors to extract or am I misunderstanding that? I don't know how much. So I also want to say that I think light, medium, dark is a terrible vocabulary for that process <laughs> because every roaster will have different definitions and every person will have different expectations of what that means. Sure. Because some of us yeah. think about it as being a more is more of a flavor issue and some of us think about it as a science issue and so on. So, yeah, I think it's, that's a complicated one because you're, you're actually, you are breaking things down, but you're creating new molecules, I guess, you know, like you're not, they're not just disappearing except for maybe the volatiles that like evaporate, but I don't know if they're all evaporating by the time you can get it out of the roaster and drink it. But you're just you're breaking down, for example, like acids or or sugars and turning them into something else. Got it. I just want to tell the audience and I, I was hoping that you would actually tell them, but you're kind enough to spend some time with me talking about this this morning. But you also have classes at Hasea that you teach. Could you kind of run through just like what the classes are and what people might expect from the experience? You know, the brewing class I mentioned on the first conversation we ever had that I've been doing these classes for a long time. 
the brewing class is actually one of the newest classes that I started doing, mostly by popular demand, honestly. At its very base, we actually start with a lot of conversation like we're having today about extraction and what is it, you know, because it's it is important to to know what you're actually doing if you want to improve your coffee brewing, you know. So we start with extraction. We talk a little bit more about water. We talk about grind in a lot of detail. We talk about brew times, even filter types, some, I guess, brew defects. I, I don't know if that's a term. I'm kind of making it up here, but, you know, like channeling. And then we, we spend some time brewing. What I like to do is brew the same coffee four or five different ways with different pieces of equipment, you know, using different methods, different times. And that way we really kind of taste the range that coffee can have just in how you prepare it. And it's great to get that feedback live with, you know, whoever's participating in the class. Some people like this brew method. Some people like this brew method. At the end of the day, I say most people like the strong coffee, which is kind of surprising. I, at home, I brew, I generally am lazy and I do a French press or uh, some sort of immersion, but I also do pour overs and I also have a Chemex and I do all the, you know, I do these different things, but usually only like when I first am buying a bag of coffee, those first couple I mix up. And then when I find the one that I think works for that coffee, I stick with it mm. through the rest of the bag for the right, most part. Right. I think that's cool. There's also some variation in like, I'll try like a range of water to grind ratio. That's kind of where you know, my intelligence ends as far as how to change up the flavor, but, but it does make a difference sometimes if I'm doing say right. a, a 15 to one ratio versus a 16 or a 17, even. I think that's a big takeaway that, that people can get out of that class is like almost diagnosing, you know, their home coffee and being able to make those changes like, Oh, well, I, I understand extraction enough to know I should change my ratio, change my grind, change my water, et cetera. So it's really about improving the at-home coffee experience. Which I love. And I also think that's important because it's something I didn't learn until I think even after I started doing this show, I joke that I my, go, my job on the show is to be kind of the dummy, you know, to ask the questions. But there's a lot of truth in that. I am learning along with the audience a lot of the time, sometimes repeating things, but I need that repetition to right. make it stick because it's not natural. But I think one of the best things that I learned was that if I take a chance on a bag of coffee from an unknown roaster to me or, you know, something new, and I don't like that first cup that I made, that doesn't mean that I won't like the rest of that bag. I didn't just waste sure. my 16 or $20 or whatever it was. I can make changes to try to get a cup that I actually enjoy. And that has right. become part of the enjoyment of the process. Excellent. Well, it's like you said, I mean, we're ever, the roaster is trusting the home consumer to finish the science experiment it's hard without some you know kind of basic knowledge yeah uh well i will uh, link to those classes and everything and as we're i i love this as we're talking i just had an incredible idea which we're gonna have to work on off off air but uh coffee summer camp where we have a different one of those classes every day and then say a coffee i was gonna call it a pub crawl but i don't know what you'd call it like coffee yeah. to coffee to coffee i think that's like gonna it. be in the future. And if we could do it in the woods where we could also have a campfire and whiskey at night, I'm all in. 
Jared, thank you for coming back to the show. I'm looking forward to talking again and and, um, just getting your expertise on things. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Ryan. Pleasure to be here. To recap, at its core, extraction is dissolving coffee solubles, actual pieces of the coffee bean, into water so that we can taste the flavor of the coffee when we're drinking it. Brewed coffee is mostly water, give or take about 98.5%. That remaining percentage is the total dissolved solids, or TDS. Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle and I did a show on refractometers earlier this year, and you should check that out if you're interested in how that measurement works. One thing that came up today, and I expressed my frustrations about, is the language of coffee. Terms like strong or bold, or even light, medium, and dark, mean different things to different people. It is why being able to take measurements is important for roasters, and to a lesser extent, those of us brewing coffee. The numbers don't generally lie, but words often do. Finally, according to Jared, over-extracting a coffee is more common than under-brewing. There are just so many more ways to over-extract. You can grind the coffee too fine, you can leave it in the immersion brewer too long, or you could just use too much water. This week, three days in a row, I overbrewed or overextracted my regular cup of Zumbar Coffee and Tea's Hummingbird Blend when I forgot to pay attention to my timer while making breakfast. I'm blaming mornings. Thankfully, I still love that coffee even if I overextract it by a little bit. But the more I extract, the more bitter flavors of the coffee are enhanced or juiced up to use a steroids and baseball term. The rest of the flavors I love, the chocolate and the balanced sweetness, get overwhelmed. Sometimes they don't even seem to be there. And if I go way over the edge, leave it in the French press for two, three, four, five extra minutes, the coffee takes on an astringent kind of burnt taste. That's when I go back, grind a new set of beans, and just start over. Those flavors are just not what I want out of a cup of coffee. And I think that's an important question to ask yourself. What do you want out of your cup of coffee? What flavors do you want? What experience do you want? What level of commitment do you want in terms of time and effort and money? For me, I like the routine of making a simple cup of coffee at home. I have a few different brewing methods, but my grinder is pretty simple, and I don't try to pull espressos or make coffee drinks, at least not unless they have whiskey in them. And I don't measure the TDS in my coffee. I work mostly by taste, and I'm willing to have a few less-than-perfect cups to find the method that works best for the coffee and for my palate. When I want something a little more extravagant, Off to the coffee roaster or the coffee shop I go. Whatever it is that you're doing, know that there are no rules. The best coffee is a coffee you enjoy. I'm pretty grateful Jared has been spending some time with us on the show, and he's already promised that he'll come back in Season 5. To learn more about the coffee education classes that Jared teaches, get online. Go to haseacoffee.com. He offers classes on roasting, brewing, and general coffee education. I also anticipate that Siri Simran Kulsa of Lofty Coffee and Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle will be back next season, and I'm working on finding a coffee-loving doctor to join us to dig into how coffee impacts our health. If you know anyone who might be interested in being part of this show, please send me a message on Instagram at RoastWestCoast or through RoastWestCoast.com. Thank you to Chris, Siri, and Jared. You've made this show better, and you've made all of us, even me, coffee smarter. And thanks to you for listening today. Thank you for supporting this show. Thank you for checking out your local coffee roasters and coffee shops. 
I'm looking forward to bringing you more interviews with coffee professionals and more coffee education in Season 5, starting with an interview with Kenny Fletcher. He's the owner and head roaster of Paper Tiger Coffee Roasters up in Vancouver, Washington. That's going to drop two weeks from now. I'll be connecting with lots of roasters in the Pacific Northwest next season and spending some time on the road this summer exploring some of the coast's coffee shops. If you have a suggestion for me, please send it, and maybe I'll see you out there, and we'll get to chat over a cup of coffee. A huge thanks to this show's industry partners for helping Roast West Coast get this far, for helping us establish a little credibility, and for being willing to support this effort to support the whole of Craft Coffee and the community of awesome people in it, including Moster Coffee Company. I can't go through this whole show without shouting out Moster's head roaster, Nick Berardi. He truly made his coffee dojo proud when he won the United States Coffee Roaster Championships in Boston last week. It's a huge deal, and he's moving on to the world competition in Milan, Italy. Also, Leap Coffee. Leap is celebrating their sixth anniversary this week, another milestone. Check out their website, leap.coffee, or Instagram, at leapcoffee, for special announcements involving coffee releases, coffee deals, and details on their new Bring Your Own Mug discount. I'll also link to all that on RoastWestCoast.com in this episode's newsletter. Thank you to the rest of my great partners, Alden at Café La Terre, Grayson and Joe at Maria Coffee, Elliot Ellen and the team at Steady State Roasting, Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting, Jason Simpson at Camp Coffee Company, Jason Let's Get Another Coffee Soon, Joe at Cape Horn Coffee Importers, Ryan and David at First Light Whiskey. They're doing some big, big things, and I'm hoping to become one of their whiskey testers at some point. If you're listening to the show, guys, I'm out here. I've got the time. I'd be happy to taste whiskeys for you. And I want to thank the most recent addition to the industry partner family, Tyler at Ignite Coffee Company, and my first ever industry partner, Zumbar Coffee and Tea. When I reached out two years ago, Steve never even hesitated to offer up his time and then become a supporter of this show. Links to all of those great partners are right there on the front page of this show's newsletter at roastwestcoast.com. And I definitely need to thank those of you out there who are listening, those of you who are subscribing to the newsletter and sending me questions and saying what's up at coffee shops or sharing videos and photos of you with your Roast West Coast stickers and cups of coffee. Thank you all. That's it for this episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. As with all 86 previous episodes, this one is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity and coffee to make it through the day. Always tip your baristas, and be sure to drink good coffee. I feel like saying it one more time. Be sure to drink good coffee. Hey everyone, if you like the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast, you might also appreciate the I Like Beer the Podcast. Listening to these guys is like being a fly on the wall of the pub with a few of your favorite mates having a pint. These professional beer appreciators have plenty of stories to share on everything from the mating habits of penguins to their behind-the-scenes brewery experiences. Check out the I Like Beer the Podcast wherever you are listening to this show about coffee or head to ilikebeerthepodcast.com.